0: this session, um, we're looking at a topic that we probably in future, as we look at it, it'll be more in an optional breakout session. But at uh, this stage, and with the questions that are being asked, uh, we thought it would be helpful to do it up front in these days, and also do it all together. So we're looking at how to have, in keeping with our theme of fruitfulness, how to have fruitful partnerships. I've actually entitled it Church to Church partnerships quick start quick start is an expression for not trying to say everything just trying to say enough so you can get doing it you know you get you you get some quick start instructions Um, not trying to say everything but enough so that we can uh, move forward let's let's look at just one snapshot that the new testament particularly is full of acts and the epistles are full of snapshots of church-to-church partnership however i haven't yet come across the passage where the heading is church-to-church partnerships it's kind of everywhere implied but seldom declared and so you need to just put a little bit of a lens on uh, but you know those 3d things if you look long enough it pops out that's that's what we're just going to do in this passage father thank you for your word Thank you for this privilege of being your friends for all we've heard so far this afternoon. We do pray for your great help as we look at this passage, Father, and then bounce around Scripture a little bit. Amen. Uh, Philippians 1 verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is the Apostle Paul writing, as we'll hear in a few minutes. There are some very important ways that we do not try and emulate Paul in his ministry. And then there are some other ways that it's wholly appropriate to try and emulate Paul and his ministry. Here he's saying, I thank my God in my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you. First privilege of partnership or feel of it is we pray for each other. And we pray prayers of joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Characteristic of partnerships number two, it says partnerships in, oh no it doesn't. There's partnerships in the gospel. It doesn't even say around the gospel. Now, we sometimes say we partner around the gospel. Nonsense. We are in the gospel. We've been saved. We're right in it as saved ones. And we partner in the gospel. Of course, advance is just a little helpful shorthand, modern-day word to describe that partnership. But don't be fooled. It's just a word. It's what we do. Uh, From the first day until now, it's so moving hearing um, um, my dear friends whose names I've just gone completely blank on. Tom say, you know, I've been with, Riggs and I have known each other for 40 years. Riggs and Sue have been married for 40 years. There was a day that that partnership began and Tom and, and Rigby began and there was a day that I, fir- I got my first tweet from the Carolina Don. Uh, I was mid-chemotherapy. I didn't want to hear from anybody. thought, who's this guy? There's a But Paul, I think he was quite a softy, you know. Not from the first day, it's from the first day. You know, I'm so grateful to God for days that partnerships began. (laughs) You'll probably tell the first day that our partnership began. Partnerships are such a privilege. And I'm sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Next kind of feel of partnerships that we get here is we have the privilege. We've seen we pray for each other. We partner in the gospel uh, together. This one is we get to affirm one another, bless, uh, fortify one another. Paul is saying, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus I don't know all of you, but I know some of you and you've shown up on these days needing to hear that Jesus Christ has got you and he will bring you and your church and your children and whatever it is, he will bring it through to completion. And it's a privilege of partnership that we get to say that stuff to each other. Sometimes it's a quick, quick, you know, something on social media, sometimes infrequent. Admittedly, we gather infrequently, but when we do, we say a lot of things in Christ, in the Lord, to each other. We phone each other. We visit each other. Is this okay? Is it all right? Well, verse 7 says it is right. (laughs) Even back in these days, um, Paul, particularly how he wrote to the Corinthians, he, he took opportunities to explain things. This is how it is right for me to feel this way about you. Because next next privilege of partnership is we love each other. was not Donnie so helpful you know in his passage bookend by love and the huddle ends with go and love each other you know <laughs> We want to love everybody but as you be, you know begin to move together a bit more deliberately that kind of intentional partnership not exclusive of course but intentional. Man, do we begin to love each other because we're partakers of grace. Then Paul says, in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, shouting chatting to some friends the other night and saying, what are you most looking forward to about this week? And they said, well, we're in a bit of a funk at the moment. I didn't know what that word meant. They said it means we're, in, we're just a bit stuck, like Groundhog Day. You know, we're in a bit of a funk. That's a type of prison. Not not what Paul's in, right? But he he was appreciative um, of them. That his their partnership meant something, even though he was in prison. And it's it's great in seasons of prison to have a spouse who's a partner, a eldership team, fellow deacons, and friends, and churches. As Donnie said, when your church is in the wars, man, you, yeah, you want each other, but you want other churches. When we're in prison, and, and He speaks about the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Doctrinal accuracy is so important. Other things are very important as well. But we can help one another with that. Our message, verse 8. For God is my witness, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer, again, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. I think he's now moved into... The two big M words. There's one of maturity. Uh, partnerships help us mature. We can know more and discern more as God helps us through others so that we may approve what is excellent. Oh, that's better. That's right. That's, a, that's the kind of uh, marriage I want to emulate. <laughs> you know, that's what we've just seen. Isn't just that little interview was excellence? And it's increased my knowledge and discernment and appetite marriage he says be pure and blameless he is maturity for the day of christ jesus filled with the fruit fruitfulness fruit of righteousness that comes through christ jesus to the glory and praise of god and once finishing with uh what we could call uh maturity where does he go next it's the next m m word that we love so much i want you to know brothers intermission now that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You know, to hear stories of how you're advancing the gospel and, you know, that little magazine article. I mean, it's fun to brag on your mates, but I want to do better with my neighbors. Um, I've heard of something that's served to advance the gospel. You know, listening to to Mandy and um, Kirk, just a little appetizer, really, of, of what their church went through. And it's served to advance the gospel. Southlands as a church is barreling along. We're with them this coming weekend again. It's, it's going to be a total privilege. God's faithful. He's brought you through. And it's it, it, it's the gospel's advanced. I love to hear these stories. It's become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become more confident. I feel more confident in partnerships. I feel more confident being provoked. We're going to, there's an interview coming about of church planting. We've There's 22 church, advanced church plants happening or will happen in the next two years. There's that's plans. And um, just hearing about those and some of those, we won't get to all of them, but I'm more confident as a man in the Lord, I'm much more bold uh, to speak. That, that These are fruits of partnership that, that these churches had, this, this Pauline uh, group of, of churches. So let's, um, let's want to <laughs> reluctantly move away from this passage because I think this is one of those topics. You know, there's some topics that are act- actually it's, it's helpful to do a more systematic approach. Uh, to get the breadth, it's not only scripture, scripture, but the breadth of what scripture teaches. So I'm going to uh, do a bit of a teaching here, and I do apologize for PowerPoint. I hear that PowerPoint isn't very very uh, well thought of uh, stateside. So if we do end up moving here, I'm changing it. I'll hate PowerPoint. <laughs> when I say partnership, um, I mean the same as movement, I mean the same as network. Partnership's the most biblical word. Paul uses it for both churches and leaders connecting the second two are slightly more colloqu- colloquial. Colloquial, <laughs> don't you say that word? I can't say it properly. And um, myself, either of them work for me. Um, but in addition to partnership, I prefer movement personally. Uh, I like the—it's um, less static than network. You know, it's movement. What are we? We're moving forward together in this great mission of Jesus. Uh, but it, maybe it's a cultural thing what you mean by network but I just don't want to pass the ball around between churches like some grid or network you know we're moving together we're moving uh, we're on a mission when I mention Ephesians 4 gifts that's synonymous with Ephesians 4 ministries um, those gifts mentioned apostle, prophet, evangelist pastor, teacher um, it's important not to ever overstate those gifts it's not the only grid not the only gifts uh, it's important not to understate them either. Then trans local, by that I'm referring to between local. Um, so people who work trance locally from one local church to help another will often be Ephesians, have some kind of Ephesians 4 gift. Sometimes they won't. Some of us are so superb at helping churches administratively, uh, maybe helping with worship. Maybe that's not there isn't quite the same gifting there as Ephesians 4 gift, but often there will be Ephesians 4 gifts. But translocal doesn't mean the same as Ephesians 4. Partnership's powerful. It's biblical. We've looked at it. Mission and maturity. It's uh, everywhere if you have eyes to see. It's necessary. You know, if we want New Testament results, maybe, just maybe, we should try and use New Testament ways of of getting those results. And then certainly the churches that Paul partnered with, which is the the main view we get of any church partnership. And I'm not saying it's the only way to do partnership, but I am saying it's the main view we get um, from Scripture. It seems that that Paul, the Paul's churches partnered around these four things. So, firstly, Paul cared about what the churches he was involved with believed. It wasn't. Um, we're just going to plant churches. We'll plant with anyone. No, it's, it's, you look at his epistles, a lot of it is on quality, not just quantity. It, it's strength, not just length. It's deep, not just, just wide. He cared about that. Then they also weren't just, it wasn't just a doctrinal policing movement. Mm, you're not quite on the ball there, brother. It, they, they did stuff together. They planted churches. They helped each other. You think know, of Antioch and Jerusalem and taking up offerings and Paul saying to the Romans, let's get to Spain. Together we can get the gospel to Spain. They did stuff. Then there was a real warmth to it. You know, they didn't just use the phrase brother and sister because they'd forgotten each other's names. You know, or the badge is round the wrong way. You know, flip. You know, keep it like that. They, they really loved each other. I mean, it's so cool, you know, Paul, you about timothy's bad stomach you know when we always get lost on the drink a little bit of wine but but it's just great that he knew that found its way in there you know it wasn't just shared mission we're gonna plant get our doctrine right it was real love and then there was recognized leadership recognized in the sense of you know the bible teaches we recognize gifts god-given gifts on people it's not like who should lead? Let's give it a go. Pass it round. We're in every area of church and life. We look for the gifting of God. We recognise gifts. So I don't. When I say recognise leadership, it's not you know. And we recognise. It's recognize. Recognise leadership. Those four things. Now, I'm just toggling across to experience now more than what I see in Scripture. But I've noticed there can be some very very successful partnerships. They're a different type of partnership for this. But they can be very successful if they partner around one. Some, but one of those things. So maybe if you think of a gospel coalition, which one do you think they partner around? Yeah, top one. They're not trying to plant churches together. Uh, a, a minister's fraternal in a town. Which one? You, you may not be a great fan of them, but stay with me. Which ones do they usually try and partner around? Genuine relationship. And if they try and add (laughs) the fourth one, there's trouble. They try and do too much together. I mean, you can do some stuff together. And if you say you you all have to believe the same stuff, the thing's going to go pear-shaped. So experientially, when you know what you're partnering around and you go for that without meddling in the other areas it seems experientially that there can be some positives. But that falls well short of Pauline aspirations for a group of churches. Now, here's another thing I've noticed, that if either go for one or go for four, but don't go for two or three. Because if if you go for more than one, you're trying to do all four, whether you know it or not. And then if you go for all four, but you only hit three or two, at best it's scratchy, and at worst it falls apart. Because this is a package deal that that needs to go together. So to have lasting, genuine relationship and to, to plant churches successfully together, you do need to be on the same page doctrinally and in terms of values. The way those values... Are expressed in each local context will differ, but they're the same fundamental uh, theologies and values. And we can get into an awful muddle if we get into partnerships that we're trying to do more than one, but it's not all four. That so you, you might even just, just think about that grid and apply it to some partnerships maybe that the friends are in or, or, or something. I was meeting with a lovely group of um, Presbyterian uh, leaders and they were asking about, this is in South Africa, asking about possible partnership with advance. And I could see they were just confused. Should we be with them? Should we be with you? And so I opened up these four things and I said, I think that's a good biblical grid. And they went quiet um, and looked at each other and then one of them said, but we don't have one of those things in play with our current denomination. That's a South African situation. I'm not making any comment on the Presbyterian church broader than that. But the, the, they said, I they said, really? Yeah, we don't believe the same stuff. Um, we don't do anything together. We don't like each other. We think our leaders are a bunch of plonkers. <laughs> and they've um, spoke about that, but they've decided to, to stay in. And then you, you might think, the question comes... Um so advances, early days, right, yeah, it's early days. And let he and those with shiny armour not talk too much about how things will be in the future. Let them speak with real caution. The question comes, what will stop advance going institutional? Our answer is we're gonna hold on to all four of those. If you keep all four, it keeps you from going institutional. Keeps you from other other Potholes, a very strong and beautiful group, and trying to do things long term without relationship. And of course, leaderships in a different colour because to get the first three. Let's just be very clear: if we've got an ambition like we do to be kind of New Testament in our partnership, and go for the package, if we really want these three white. One's then this orange one is quite important. So let's think about the kind of leadership that was going on in Scripture. In terms of apostle, Hebrews 3, 1, he's our great apostle. Our great apostle. He's the ultimate pioneer, the ultimate foundation. The sent one. Then there's the second category, the 12, the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They were unique. They are never to be repeated or imitated. They stand alone as a group that was for then and isn't for now. How were they unique? Well, they personally observed the earthly ministry of Jesus. They personally observed his resurrection. They were the personal, they were the people foundations of the early church. You spoke to the 3,000 in Jerusalem they so say, who are you gathered? Because they're just working it out, right? They got saved and Jesus. They're still working out. They so those 12 guys, who are you with? Those 12 guys. These are the foundation stones. And surely the number 12 is not insignificant, bearing in mind our, our heritage, our origins in uh, the people of Israel. They were unique. W- were they unique in that they wrote Scripture? Some of them wrote Scripture. Did all of them write Scripture? Were they infallible? I'm thinking of Galatians two, when Paul goes after Peter. Were they infallible? Then there's this untimely born guy who fits in two and three. You know, uh, he was like he was like the twelve, and that he was personally called by Jesus. Admittedly, he was called by the post ascension Jesus, but he wrote more. <laughs> He wrote more of the Bible than the 12 put together. He planted more churches than the 12 put together, but he wasn't part of the 12. Wow. No wonder he thought of himself as slightly untimely born. Then you've got category three, which are other others in Scripture who seem to be called apostles as well, in addition to the 12 and Paul. No doubt about the 12 and Paul. And that's an important category, we'll come back to it in a minute, because if it does exist, it would suggest that there is some kind of ongoing apostolic ministry post-Bible times, like today. And then there's a fourth category. Um, This word apostolos is used quite liberally in Scripture. Um, It's used today sometimes to describe planters, um, that any church planter is uh, an apostle, Uh, well, certainly a sent one. Um, even all believers. And, and I find this helpful and unhelpful. What I like about category four is it's kudos to planters. <laughs> uh, I like it that it demystifies the A word. You know, it's like it was used quite a lot in the Bible. You don't like have to avoid using that word, get through the whole conference without saying the A word. Um, and I like it that it's a reminder that all of us should be sent once. But I ultimately find it more unhelpful than helpful because it, it at best confuses and at worst negates the more, poignant, the more poignant way that that word and concept is used in Scripture. Let's look closer at Category 3. Some writers get up to 12, 13, 14 people who they think Scripture directly or indirectly are apostles. I think these four are bulletproof, and I don't mention the others. I think these four are very, very strong, particularly Barnabas and Apollos. If you're familiar with an English up-and-coming theologian called Andrew Wilson, um, who is a friend of mine, he's a he's just ridiculously brilliant. Uh, he recently got published in the British uh, theological journal. Um, an article entitled Apollos, uh, no, Apollos, Apostle Apollos, question mark, and it's it's pages of a very robust theological uh, look at was this man, was Paul really referring to him as an apostle. And we need more articles out like that. The problem is there's so much scholarly stuff by those who who are, are very unsure. Uh, about Ephesians four ministries today, so it's great to have a growing number of uh, robust um, arguments coming out. But then beyond those four, it's interesting just how freely Paul writes about who is and who isn't. <laughs> you know, you, you just, there's just long passages of scriptures on how to be clear that they're not apostles or apostolic. You know, if it was just the twelve and Paul, he could have cut that down considerably. He could have just said, if they're not the twelve or me, they're not apostles. Full stop, move on. And then, then he talks about all the apostles, and it's interesting that phrase comes after he's put several categories with, with just before. Um, and the category, some of the two of the categories are he speaks of the twelve and himself, and then says, If it's all the apostles I mean all's quite a lot, you know, and why say the twelve and himself why put those in different categories if, if there wasn't this other category of other apostles in these Bible times? Are all apostles? Again, you, you just, there was no paranoia in Paul about the 12 and Paul. No, just, yeah, there's, there's, there's ministries that are working, and, and, and don't, don't be deceived. It's not those, but there are others. That, that's the feel. summary so far it seems apostolic ministry continues today and paul is certainly the best model we have of apostolic ministry now that's a blessing and it's a bit of a challenge because we remember paul paul's like in category two and he's in category three so and he's the best model we get so we need to use our heads a little bit here what can and what can't we imitate let's Simply say, anything category two, which you might want to call big A, we don't try and imitate. Category three, small a, we do try and imitate. Let's dissect the bits of Paul that we can imitate and we can't imitate by asking two questions. One about foundations. One about who's in charge, authority. Let's think about foundations to try and work out what is appropriate and what isn't an appropriate way to think and act today. Michael Eaton, and I don't know of any respected theologian who thinks this passage of Scripture from Ephesians 2 is talking about anything other than the original, universal, complete, never-to-be-messed-with foundation of the church that has been laid in the form of the closed canon of Scripture. And in through the earthly ministry of the 12, Jesus, the 12, and Paul. I mean, let's make no mistake. Those guys were chosen for a unique task, and they killed it. They did really well. And the early church gathered to them. And the, the foundation of the foundation of the church was laid by these, obviously on Jesus, but, but these apostles and prophets were the foundation, the literal people foundation of everything that we stand on today. We don't try and relay or rework or redo either what they did or this. Which They are different, but you could just for shorthand say this because it's within here that we, we learn about the foundation that they were and what they laid. But we don't mess with that. Then Scripture presents other uses the word and concept foundations in another way which is a more current way an in progress way a dynamic way and in a local way, not universal local and and we do ourselves a disservice if every time we see the word foundation we just think it's the first one or we just think it's the second one 1 Corinthians uh, 3 Romans 15 what did Paul say in Romans 15 I want to move on, lest I I build on another what, another man's foundation. So he's saying I need to geographically move, so I don't build on a foundation that another man has built. He didn't reference this or, or the, the twelve. Or, it's, he's just he's saying yeah, there's a local dynamic current foundation. I want to do that somewhere else. Others have done it there. Uh, One Corinthians three. Um, he talks about, Donnie mentioned it, remember it's Paul and Apollos, and uh, uh, I'll just forget the exact. Say again? Cephas, yeah. I'm just thinking how. Um, yeah, take care how you build. <laughs> I build as a wise master bull. The whole context, though, is he's talking about a local church foundation of Corinth. It's a specific thing. Because I built, now Apollos is building and others will build. He's talking about that local church foundation. Then there's this passage, am I not an apostle to the Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 9. How does he argue for his apostleship? Is he arguing for big A or small A, do you think? Just the plain reading of it, what does it seem? He's. What's his argument? Is he contending that he's a big A or a small A? Is he contending that he's He's apostolic because he's building local church foundations, or the universal church foundations. I think local. He's saying, "Look, you're my work. I did work with you. But to others, I'm not an apostle." Now, remember, he is—he's an, he's, he's an apostle to everyone in big A. This is Paul, called set apart of scriptures. Much of his ministry can't be repeated. Unique authority, really. But here he's saying, look, to others, that local church, I wouldn't be regarded as apostolic. To you guys, I am. Why? Because I've helped with your foundation. The seal of my apostleship is the work, the hands-on functional work. Let's think about authority. Paul, man, he was both positional, big A, and functional working with local churches. He had both going on. Uh, today, we only think about apostolic ministry functionally, not positionally. It's it's a verb. It's something we do. That's why if, if, if someone says, um, would you regard so-and-so as apostolic? I might say no. You might say yes. It's fine. Absolutely fine. I am to some, not to others. That, that, I think that carries through. Paul so. There was an invited component, surely. But he felt sometimes, although he was incredibly gentle, and my reading of him, he was, I mean, he was just remarkably humble. He was always looking for invitation. This great Apostle Paul, even he would say, I don't want to play that card. However, sometimes you just get the feeling he went straight for the church and bypassed the elders don't you? I mean he was I think that's big A territory we, we, we don't do that today That that's not appropriate but it is appropriate to be invited I think before talking a bit more about this key word of invitation which is a continuation of authority I just want to slip something into this presentation now and then we'll pick up this main theme but let's just just say, well, what if, because it's difficult to explain these terms, what if we just didn't bother? Because functionally, remember it's about function more than title. Functionally, as a movement, we could probably get away with using other words instead of Ephesians 4 type words. So why not do that? Or even, uh, we could say there's some successful networks, movements out there that don't go for any of this stuff why do we have to go for it? Let's just, what are the difficulties in denying Ephesians 4 ministry today? It would mean we would have to go for a biblical terminology, which is inconsistent. I mean, we're happy to explain Trinitarianism, propitiation. We're happy to explain elders and deacons. Have you, have you ever thought how weird the word elder and deacon, those words are? Deacon, it sounds like some computer programmer. It's deacon. But we explain them, Right. And it's also a slippery slope. You notice that what we call something is usually what it ends up becoming. So if you go superintendent or management team, don't be surprised if after a a few years it ends up feeling like superintendents or a management team. But when we do press ourselves to use biblical terminology, like elders in the local church, it, it kind of constantly nudges us back to what should elders be like? Also, we would tend to then overload the office of a local pastor-teacher, a local elder, because if that is the only office that we're comfortable using today, because of the overwhelming evidence in Scripture that local pastor-teachers, elders, exist today, um, I think it's it's just a bit silly, really, um, to think of John Piper's ministry um, just in the realm of, well, he's a local elder, but a very gifted one. Um, you think of what Spurgeon—the the whole 150 odd churches that he planted throughout the UK. Do we just are we just okay with saying, "Well, he was just a local elder who was really good"? Because that can make the rest of us local elders. Do we, should we do that? And then we lose. It's it's not that pastors and teachers aren't catalytic in their own way. It's that. The pastor-teacher gift is not catalytic in the same way that an apostolic, prophetic, or evangelistic gift is. And it's great, isn't it? When you, are, it, it, you do feel you are prophetic, or you do feel you are a, a teacher, you will strongly bias towards thinking that your gift the most important. So like if you're a true blue teacher, and not in team and exposed to other giftings, you'll secretly think, you know what, if we just preach the word more and more accurately, more and more faithfully, revival will happen. It won't. (laughs) I mean, it's very important to keep teaching the word more and more accurately. But there's a dynamism in the evangelistic, prophetic, and apostolic gift that just makes everything bigger for pastor-teachers to work in more successfully. The other difficulty is that we may choose... The wrong sort of leader or leaders when it comes to church-to-church partnerships, and there's various levels and forms of leader. Not just thinking about the guy or the team that leads a movement, but often first generation a movement develops because the piet, the movement leader is apostolic, whether he thinks of himself as apostolic or not, or others think of himself as apostolic or not. There's a gathering, and there's a multiplication the point where it'll be helpful for us to call this something. And often first generation movements avoid the A-word. But the gift is still happening in my opinion. Then it comes and you think, ah, it's just these movements work. It works. When he dies or hangs up his boots, we'll just get someone else and we'll just keep working. And it doesn't keep working automatically. And if we don't think about the sort of gifts that seem in scripture to be particularly suited to helping churches move together when it comes to choosing a second generation leader or different leaders in different places it's let's go for the guy with the most experience or with the biggest church or who's most respected let's hand over to him and although he's a great guy three or four or five years later it's not working like it was What's, what's going on? I think I think a gifting thing is what's going on. I think what happens is it's easier to drift away from these four important aspects of partnership. Remember, doctrine and values, mission, relationship. I think it's easier to drift away from those things if we don't constantly, not in an obsessive way, but think think more as we're trying to think here. If you drift away... From, if you drift away from thinking Ephesians 4 ministry, I think it's very hard, maybe impossible, to get a Pauline-type partnership with all of these three in play. Let me say it another way. To maintain all four aspects of partnership, I think you need all all of the Ephesians 4 gifts. You need other gifts as well. I can't say everything in one session, but you need those gifts in the mix. But to maintain... How do prophetic people, how do evangelistic people, pastor teachers, how does all this work? To maintain them, I think you need the apostolic gift to come first. First doesn't mean better, but it means there's, there's something about that gift, it seems, that enlarges territory to the, to the place where other gifts actually have something to do. And it's, it's very, it should be very sensitive to using other gifts. It should be the complete opposite of a one-man glory trip. The firstness of this gift is, I think, that it needs the other gifts so much. There's a sort of over-undergirding element to this gift. Oh, man, we need plumbers and we need electricians. There's something architectural with that gift. So let's imagine, what if... A movement is led by a teacher. Well, you'll probably be very, very strong in that, and that might be a good thing just to do if you're a move a teacher-heavy bunch of churches. Then by that guy, hopefully, really strong in shared mission. Maybe it'd be a mile wide, inch deep. Maybe that would be a mile deep and an inch wide. We need those guys, boy. Critical. And, Prophet, we don't have time to look at this extraordinary gifting. But for now, I'm just happy to say, strong in God's presence and innovation and spontaneity. There'll be many other things that I think prophetic gifting brings, and I don't want to lump it into just, you Though you know, I think they can be hugely mature, shaping uh, gift. But hopefully, if the apostolic gift is coming first, you might even not know it's first because it's a space-making gift rather than an I do everything gift. The, having said all of that, we want to be really wise about the language we use, despite our biblical convictions about these gifts on an ongoing basis. Wise about our language and contextual. So, because of our convictions about them and other gifts, we. Often use. Very often, we will use prophetic more than prophet. Now you might think he's a prophet. That's fine. We we just find in many contexts it's probably set more sensible to say, he's "Got a very strong prophetic gift." It may be that you're a part of a church or a nation that's much more comfortable for various reasons with using the word prophet instead of prophetic well then that's your conviction that works contextually I think there'll be no problem with moving in that direction but we use ick words a lot we use hub language it's a it's a a modern day term to describe how churches we use it a grouping of churches like a subgroup of churches within a movement uh, work together we think it's inoffensive Um, who leads who leads a hub an apostle No, it's a hub leader. We might be apostolic. May well be. But let's not, you know, say, punch me on the nose every time you open your mouth. Why? Well, we're a young movement. There's contemporary misunderstandings and we want to leave room for convictions and context of local elders and local situations coming back now remember I said that was a little insert coming back to this business of invited and who's in charge um, who's in charge of a local church the local elders are not trans local gifts not movement leaders local elders are we're crystal clear on that biblical conviction uh, elders are the highest human authority in a local church and a movement that isn't clear on that can get into trouble you can have minor trouble or you can have major trouble minor trouble is A movement team, an apostolic team, a a movement team that meddles too much in local churches, too strong produce weak eldership teams. You think you're producing strong eldership teams because you're telling them what to do. Don't tell them what to do. Tell them why they're doing it. They ask you, how do you do it in your local church? You you tell them that, but give them the why. A big, big picture. And when they want to know too much from you, just zip it. Don't have to work that one out yourself. Why don't you chat to that other church? Come on give us give us the advanced statement of faith. We want to adopt it as our own. No, buddies, you do your own work on what you think your statement of faith should be. You get you get the idea. So at best, you can get weak eldership teams. If you if you have translocal teams that don't get local elders are in charge. At worst, the thing can get toxic and meddling, controlling. It's actually like the movement leaders are like the senior pastors and every church is like a site or a small group rather than serious dudes, their wives, eldership teams leading their local church. So would we think in terms of having authority over a church or influence in a church? It would be influence. Now, I guess when you have influence, it's a form of authority, but we much prefer the word influence, especially thinking of the things that we can imitate today. The things that we can't imitate today. How do we influence? Well, via a couple of things. Would influence, as we've said, by the invitation of these guys. There's only influence that you know local eldership team can say. What do you think on this? And you can say, and they might just completely not want to do anything with it. That's absolutely fine. But they may say, No, we'd like to. We we, we receive that. and We want to start doing things in that direction. An invitation often often starts as a one-off. Could you come and help us with this? Then it sometimes progresses from there to do you think you could come back and help us with something else? And then maybe, any chance you can come back next month as well? And then, because trust and relationships build, often a local eldership team, it feels natural and even wise to say, do you think we could just make this a standing invite? That whenever, if ever you feel something for us, something positive or maybe something corrective, do you think you could just tell us? Because we'd actually sleep better at night, knowing that we've got friends outside of our church keeping an eye on us. Oh, do you mean putting you under a covering? No, I don't talk coverings. You want to be accountable? Well, yes, but don't say it with a frown on your face. (laughs) Sounds all terrible, doesn't it? But if we're talking about Loving one another and keeping an eye on each other out of trust and relationship and invitation, then I think it could become a, a, a standing invite. We we could think of it as a standing invite. Of course, that, of course, whenever if there's a standing invite at any time, the elders can just put down the shutters and say, "Thank you, but we don't want to receive what you're saying. We don't want to be part of this partnership anymore." Of course. But it just strikes me that the Galatian church was so deep in heresy, they didn't even know they were so deep in heresy. They didn't even know to pick up the phone and say, Paul, can you just help us audit our doctrines of grace? You know? And they must have slept well at night knowing that if they were missing it, they had someone who would write, oh, you dear idiots, what are you up to? And they didn't mind them calling them dear idiots. That's the J.B. Phillips uh, translation. You Because they loved the guy. You know, it's like, you monkey. You go, oh. you know, it's, it's like... It's... So there's invitation. Um, then the Word of God. We influence through the Word of God. I feel a lot more authorized at preaching from Scripture than I do offering tips about how we did it in God First and Joburg. It's a completely different feel. There's a pressing that you can do, as any preacher can do, um, from the Word of God. Then there's this little element of gifting... We've all experienced how it can be like nails going down a blackboard when someone who's not gifted is doing something they're not gifted to do. Not like someone's leading worship and they're just not gifted for it. You just the whole time you're analyzing it and thinking "You, you, you go to the next song, go to the next song. you know But when someone's gifted, you just get caught up in Jesus and you're being influenced without even analyzing. am I being influenced? Do I know he is? There's, a, there's an oil that, that comes from gifting. I remember listening to Wayne Gruden preach on a very difficult um, topic, and it was just like oil. If I'd try to teach on that, maybe someone else would say, oh, no, no, no. what are you saying? It was was gifting. And when there's gifting in play in terms of helping churches, and we need different types of gifts to help churches be on mission and mature, but when gifting's in play, it's a whole lot easier. And that's the kind of one that, unless you've experienced that, you know, what, what, but it's great to have gifting in play. And then relationship oils the wheels of everything, does it not? It's so much more fun, so much easier. Because you don't always get something right in an email or on the phone or you're saying something, you can be a bit misunderstood. When there's relationship, you always give each other the benefit of the doubt. It's very easy to say, you know, what did you mean by that and and so on. So really, we could summarize as a delicate balance. Of autonom- we want autonomous local churches but of course everything we see in scripture there's an interdependence as well we want stand on their your own two feet believers we want you to be autonomous as a believer but we want real interdependency not codependency not independence interdependency I'm coming into lands just a couple more things on church foundations when I think about local church foundations remember the universal foundation is already set when I think about local church foundations, um, I think doctrine is so important, helping a church get clear on the main doctrines. And then values are slightly different from doctrine. Do you remember when Paul uh, talks to the Corinthians about this, he says, he says I, I've sent others to you to teach you my ways in Christ. The great theologian didn't say, to teach you what to believe. He went a bit more personal and he said, he said, I want to teach you some ways of doing things. that." And I think of ways as application of doctrine. And I've noticed, with the privilege of, of helping a number of churches, that often a church can be crystal clear on the doctrine of grace. I mean, their understanding of the gospel and grace is, Mah. but no one's very happy in the church. And worship is a bit like a funeral. They don't need help on doctrine. They need help on... And maybe, you know, I'm going to ask, would you you be okay if I got so-and-so in touch with you? He just, the way he teaches grace ignites grace. It doesn't just teach grace. And maybe if you had a weekend with him, it would just unlock something. They need help in ways, not doctrine. Holy Spirit... Most churches who want anything to do with advance, any level, have already mentally got their heads round and they've got their theology around. We need the Holy Spirit. The big question is, how do we do the Holy Spirit in a sane yet meaningful way? There's ways. There's, way, we can have, there's ways to do that. Paul spent chapters on, don't do it like this. Keep it at three, watch out for that, but do it. <laughs> Tongues. Yeah, but be careful there. Prophecy, Whoa, prophecy. There was a, there was some ways going on. Ways can be so helpful. Leadership, leaders must be like this. Okay, but I found as a younger leader now becoming a midlife leader, I found it so helpful to be around other leaders and have them come in and just notice how they handle that conversation. Wow, that's a good way of of doing it. Then elders, what's in the head is in the body. Such an important group. Most energies will go in that direction. Then there's a fourth one. that's in italics. Churches needing help with the bigger picture and wider mission. It's such a relief, isn't it, to be, we'll see in these days, to be praying for Thailand and Tanzania and thinking about other states in America. There's, there's just something great that we want to keep in our foundations. Help, I've been asked to lay foundations. If someone says that to me, I... I How should I? What should I do? A church down the road has asked asked me to help them. I would say, go for. In order to do those, I would say practically, teach and model one, two, three, four, five, and then seven and eight. I just think are so important as well. Uh, You know, we we think of the first five as our foundational rallying imperatives that we all love together and advance so much. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I can't, I can't tell you. <laughs> Number six is shafar blowing. <laughs> okay, let's just dream, guys. Look at look at anyone know? Um, two minutes left. Anyone know how many years the Book of Acts was? Twenty-eight chapters that spanned about thirty years. Some of us have got. Another 30 years left in us. Some of us have got half. Some of us have got one and a half, 30 years. Look what happened in just 30 years. Barnabas went to get Saul from Tarsus. There was interplay between Jerusalem and Antioch. In just a decade or so, Jerusalem had emerged as a serious sending center. And then they kept going. They set aside two out of five elders for translocal work, two out of five elders for translocal work, how much money should... We... Well, they said two out of five elders. The two founding elders, because the commission is to the ends of the earth, not just to the end of our streets. And they went and they preached the gospel and doubled back and and set a place elders. You've got another reproducing base. Then they go off again, not to plant, but to strengthen. I know it looks better on the website to always talk about plants. But you plant without strengthening, you run into trouble. You strengthen without planting, you run into trouble. We've got to have the right gifts collective gifts because I'm not strong in all of them you're not strong in all of them together we can be strong in all of them we plant and strengthen which way should we go there there. well wonderfully the spirit of God stopped them if you're if you're planning you're thinking about going somewhere be reassured God will stop you if he doesn't want you to go there into a new continent Athens back to Antioch and this this doesn't even this only gets us to about Acts 18 or so. It doesn't deal with other teams that were planting in the south and the, the east and further north. We've just got a thirty year wind view of how much could be accomplished in thirty years. And we have the same commission from God. We have the same Spirit empowering us. But we've got the full canon of Scripture. They didn't. We have more technology than they had, and we've got two thousand years worth of church history to lean on that they didn't have it is wholly appropriate brothers and sisters for us to say God could we do it again in our day as an expression of humility Father could we lean into you, your spirit, this commission lean into each other and see what we could be accomplished, could we not do the book of Acts again in our generation in our day, as one of your own poets has said, the great architect Union Station in DC and other great American buildings he said, "Don't make little plans. They got no power, no magic to stir men's blood. Make big plans. This is a the of, book of Acts is a big plan. We're gathering together around a big God with a big plan. And as one of our great British prime ministers once said about y'all, the American national psychology is such that the bigger the idea, the more wholeheartedly and obstinately do they throw themselves into making it a success." That's an admirable characteristic, provided the idea is good. <laughs> this is a very good idea. The Book of Acts is a very good idea, and in addition to loving Jesus and loving each other, that's what we're giving uh, our, ourselves to. This, you know the phrase a "biblical partnership." <laughs> that's biblical partnership. When you double-click on it, like we have, man, it's juicy, and uh, that's what we're going for. And God will teach us as we go. I'm sure we'll be we'll learn so much as we go. But let's. Go together and go humbly. as we pray. Father, thank you for a great first afternoon. Keep instructing us and leading us, we pray. Do as much good as we eat, as we sleep, and we pray for a f- fantastic day tomorrow. Keep working in us, Lord. We're lenient to you. Keep reworking us, helping us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.